my community group is already laughing at me because so is John because he already already knows what I'm talking about today and it's gonna be fun guys it's gonna be fun we're in the middle of our light-hearted series hard word we're looking at some pretty funny scenarios stories in the Bible and trying to pull some nuggets of teaching and wisdom out of them at the same time and we're using the verse Proverbs 17:22, that a cheerful heart is good medicine or laughter is good medicine it's good to laugh. It's good to not be serious all the time, you know, laugh. And we know that we can laugh and we can have a good time because God is funny. Well, how do we know that God is funny? Well, God is funny because he created some pretty funny things, right? He created some pretty funny people. John said last week, if you don't believe him, just look around the room, right? You're going to see some pretty funny people. Or you can snap a selfie of yourself right now. Really take a look at your face, right? funny things. We also know that we're created in God's image, so God poured out characteristics of himself into all of humanity. We're not all made the same. We all have different abilities and characteristics. Some of us are super smart. Some of us are super funny. So God is also smart and funny. God also wrote some pretty funny things in scripture. It's included in there, and that's what we're looking at during this whole service. So last week, John talked about he talked about poop, guys. He talked about poop. And this week, we're going to talk about poop some more. So bear with me. This is not meant to be offensive or lowbrow or... I, I ask myself this question constantly. Every day as I began to, to work on this talk was, what is the line between funny and gross? What, where is that line? And it was a difficult one. If I'm honest with you, there was some material that came into my head. I even had an idea for a video that I was going to do that was just too close to that line for Sunday morning, and I pulled it. I'm not going to do it because I don't want to be gross. This is the Lord's house, and we don't want to be offensive or gross. So if you feel uncomfortable this morning, I'm here to let you know that no one in this room is more uncomfortable today than the person you're looking at. And John might be too. I figure it's a win-win because if John, if you like my talk, then that's good, right? If you don't like my talk, then I don't have to preach as much <laughs> as I'm currently preaching. So, right? <laughs> We're all good? All right. Now, I want to start off with just to get us thinking in the right direction and for us to stay lighthearted and not everyone to be too highly above everyone else and poop humor isn't funny. So we're going to ask today for no party poopers. And here's the video. I work some hours in an office, you know, and the groups of people, they're, they're talking and one say about Jennifer, the, uh, a colleague, a colleague, she, um, colleague. Oh, I tell you, Jennifer, she is, she is really a party pooper. Jennifer poops at parties. So she she poops at parties so so and people know this. I I poop at parties. I poop at parties but people don't know because I close the door. <laughs> Jennifer goes to the party and then poops, but she do it so people know. Where, where do she go for it? Does she, 
Dashif is at a water closet and make door of the open so people may see and smell things. This sounds horrible. Do she, maybe she go like by the tables with the gift and the present and the punches bowl. Poop on the carpets. This sounds like Jennifer, you have some mental issue. Have you speak? Have you spoken to someone about it? This serious? You make a poop in the in the party, so people may know. I want to go to parties with Jennifer just to make observa observation. She poops at parties. All right. So don't misinterpret what I'm saying this morning. This is lighthearted. Don't be a party pooper. It's meant to be funny, but also focus on faith. We say often here at Cannon Ridge, we take our faith seriously, but don't take ourselves too seriously. So let's do that together this morning. Let's start with uh, some history about what we're talking about today. And long before Thomas Crapper, funny name, Thomas Crapper, who invented the modern flush toilet, before that, God spoke to his people in Deuteronomy. Israelites on how to dispose of their waste. This is all connected. Just bear with me. I'll come back around. And Deuteronomy says, Mark out an area outside of the camp where you can go to relieve yourselves. Along with your weapons, because you don't know what's going to come up behind you, have a stick with you. After you relieve yourself, dig a hole with the stick and cover your excrement. Now, I'm not questioning God, but if it was me, I would dig the hole first with the stick. Because I don't know if you ever tried to move something with a stick. It's very pointy at the end. It might be difficult to slide that over and cover it. So dig the hole first. might be good. And we may think, you know, this is just a sanitation measure, right? It makes sense. You don't want to do that business in the middle of camp. One, it's uncomfortable to do that in public. We all know. We've all been down that hallway over there. But also, <laughs> but also you just don't want that, right, around your food and your water supply and all that. But that's not the reason that God gives in verse 14. It says, God, your God, strolls through your camp. He's present to deliver you and give you your victory over your enemies. So keep your camp holy. Don't permit anything indecent or offensive in God's eyes. You know, today we think of God, you know, through the whole context of Scripture. God is this omnipresent God. He's everywhere. He's huge. He's one who seeks to save the lost, right, have a relationship with each of us, but in this time here in Deuteronomy that we're reading about, a lot of people just viewed God as one of the tribal deities, because there was tons of different tribes, and they all had their different gods that they worshipped. And in the Old Testament, some people just thought that the tribal deity, this God, Yahweh, was a God who gave the Israelites victories, right, in battle, and a God that would leave his tribe if he saw them number two in public. Why is this in the Bible? Well, because there was other ancient religions where twos were literally offered to their God as a sign of worship. That's gross. That's super gross. There's a well-known Jewish rabbi named Rashi, and he talked about the worshiper of Baal. We're going to talk about Baal a little bit later. But the worshiper of Baal would go into this area to worship the statue of Baal, and he would drop his drawers and do the deed as a sign of worship. Silence. It's gross. It's pretty nasty. But God, the true God, right? Yahweh, the true God, 
did not accept this type of worship. Thank God. Church would be awkward. It would be uncomfortable. None of us would be, want to be here. Yes, praise the Lord for that indeed. There's, there's a couple different Baals that we encounter throughout Scripture. Uh, one is Baal Zebul, and that means the God of Dung, appropriately named. Another Baal that we can read about in 2 Kings is Baal Zebub, which means God of the Flies or Lord of the Flies. And the followers of Baal Zebub thought, you know, this God created flies and attracted flies. But do you know what creates flies and attracts flies? No answer. Yeah, you can guess. All right. Fast forwarding past the talk that we're going to look at today. During a time of reform in Israel, uh, when the Baals were being defeated, the Bible says that they smashed the Baal altars, tore them down, tore down the Baal temple, and it's been a public toilet ever since. True story. They thought, man, just throw some mirrors up on the wall. We're already set up. We'll just call it a bathroom. Good to go. According to the historian uh, Josephus, there was a group of Jews known as the Essenes, and they followed the law so intently that they thought that it was unbiblical, un-God-following-like to number two on Sunday, on the Sabbath. So they just didn't do it. I think that is a sign of worship, right? You'd have to, like, plan ahead for that one. You're not going over, <laughs> not going over to your grandma's house for a special goulash on Saturday night because the Sabbath is coming. And All right, let's get into our story. Enough of that. That's all in the Bible. If you want a reference, I have it all written down on my paper, and I'll give it to you. The story I want to tell you today actually takes place in 1 Kings chapter 18, and it's one of the great stories in the Bible. It's one of my favorites of all time. Just fun to read and exciting. It's also kind of funny at parts, too. And at its core, it really has some great principles that I want to teach to you, show you today. And specifically values that apply to making life decisions that we all have to do. Before we begin, I want to give you a little bit more background, particularly about the characters that we're going to see as the story plays out. So I created a flow chart up here on the page. And uh, this flow chart represents within the context of time. I want to compare it to what John talked about last week in context of time to what we're talking about today. So we know who King David is. A lot of us know who King David is. He was represented in the cave, right? He and his dudes were there in the back of the cave when Saul did his deed. And that happened about 1011 B.C. You can see it there. It's the first toilet probably went over. Right? And after King Saul, King David took over. And King David was a great king. Following King David, his son, King Solomon took over. And he was a pretty good king, too. But after Solomon had died, things in the kingdom of Israel had started to get pretty bad. So bad, in fact, that it split up into two nations. It had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So the event that we're going to talk about today actually takes place 60 years after that split and roughly 250 years after King Saul doing his business in the cave. Just to put it in perspective for you, this is where we're at today. The guy we're going to talk about is King Ahab. King Ahab was the king of the north. And the Bible describes Ahab as he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. It's a bad dude, right? It's the worst, worst of all time. The message version calls him a new champion of evil. First, he seduced the people of Israel into worshiping these false gods, the poop gods. That's what we'll call them, the Baals. And then he made it his personal mission to eliminate all of 
the true prophets of the true God from Israel. He hunted and tracked and slaughtered every prophet of God on the run, hiding in caves. All of them were slaughtered. All except for one, that is, enter the scene, Elijah, the main character in our story this morning. In chapter 17 in 1 Kings, God calls Elijah to be his prophet. And this is the first mention we read of Elijah in the Bible. He just kind of pops onto the scene out of nowhere as God calls him to be his singular prophet. And the first job that God gives Elijah, you ever had a tough first assignment? His very first assignment is to go confront this evilest guy of all time, King Ahab, face to face. And so he goes up to King Ahab and says, Okay, Ahab, you have turned both your back and your nation's back against God, the God of Israel, the true God. So this is what's going to happen. It's not going to rain anymore. There's going to be a drought until a time where I say it can rain again. And I don't think Ahab took this threat very seriously because, again, Elijah was kind of a no one up to this point. He hadn't really done too much. But by the time that this drought reached its third year and King Ahab has been reduced to scouring the countryside with his animals to try to find some grass and some water, finally Ahab was taking this threat pretty seriously. Elijah was no longer a nobody. He was on Samaria's most wanted list. Elijah became this ultimate hunted man and the God of Israel became the hated God. So intense, in fact, that uh, Ahab's wife, Jezebel, you may have heard of her before, Jezebel went on another killing spree, not just killing prophets, but killing anyone who worshipped the true God by sword. It's pretty bad. Obadiah, one of King Ahab's servants, told Elijah, there isn't a country or kingdom where my master hasn't sent out search parties looking for you. Ahab even threatened nearing neighboring countries, their kings and their leaders, telling them that he would execute them if they were harboring or hiding Elijah. But God continued to protect his last prophet. He never allowed Elijah to be found until one day Elijah just strolls right on through the front gates of King Ahab's palace and meets him again. And I kind of think of this as like, you know, the old Western showdown, right? And just walk up face to face. And I think of that because this is how Ahab greeted Elijah. He said, so it's you, old troublemaker. Right? Doesn't that kind of make you think of an old Western? It's you, old troublemaker. And Elijah replied, listen, bro. Yeah, you not know that? Listen, bro is in the Bible. This is the, this is the T-R-E-V. This is the Trevor's Revised English Version. Yeah. Listen, bro, it's not, not me that you should be pointing the finger at. You should be pointing at yourself. Take a look in the mirror. This is your fault. This is your problem. All right, let's look at the real version of the Bible. Elijah answered, It's not I who has caused this trouble in Israel, but you and your government. You've dumped, no pun intended, God's ways and commands and run off after the local gods, the Baals. Then he issues this challenge. He told Ahab to gather the prophets of Baal as as well as the prophets of Ashura and meet him on top of Mount Carmel for this ultimate showdown. It would be epic and awesome. Elijah says, Then you pray to your gods, and I will pray to God, the true God, and whichever God answers with fire is, in fact, the true God. And out of sheer, I think, just 
pride maybe, stupid pride, Ahab agrees to this showdown on top of Mount Carmel. So Ahab summoned everyone in Israel, particularly the prophets, to Mount Carmel. Elijah challenged the people. This is a great challenge. This is a great sentence right here. How long are you going to sit on the fence? If God is a real God, follow him. But if Baal is real, then follow him. Make up your minds. Elijah's saying, you've experienced the true God. You have been taught to worship the Lord only, to walk in his ways, to follow his paths, and have no other gods. And now this Baal, this poop god worship has been introduced, and you've You've thought maybe, you know, maybe we've been too restrictive in just worshiping one God. And you've deceived yourself in thinking that it's okay to worship both. To do what God wants you to do and to do your own thing. You know, you don't want to give up God and the worship of the temple and the festivals because you like gathering and being around one another. But you also don't want to give up this worship of Baal. So your solution is convincing yourself and saying, it's alright, we'll just do both. We can do both, right? But Elijah's saying... If God is the real God, worship him. If it's Baal, then worship him. You can't have both. Make up your minds. So how do you think the people of Israel responded? Perfect. You guys nailed it. They said nothing. They stared there blankly. This dumb look on, you're not dumb. Dumb looks on their face. They didn't r- respond at all. So as this contest plays out, again, there's several principles and values that we want to look at. Here's the first one for you. This may be on the community group quiz, mind you. Number one, there will always be more people going with the flow than standing for the truth. There are 450 prophets of Baal that day, plus about 400 prophets of Ashura. My math is right. That's roughly 850 to 1, plus all the rest of the people of Israel that gathered to see that throwdown happen. I think, I think Elijah kind of liked that fact. I think he liked being the underdog in the scenario. Isn't it great when you know you're right, right? Like he knew that he was right and they were wrong, so he kind of gloated about it. Like 850 wrong people and he was the one. And I think he liked being the underdog because he announces it. In verse 22 he says, I am the only prophet of God left in Israel and there are 450 prophets of Baal. Now, over the centuries, however, I don't feel like things have changed that much. Sure, there's a lot of Christian churches in our community and in the United States and in the world. And yeah, like a third of the world's population says that they are Christian. But I still think that there's these false prophets on all around us all the time. Many of them may not look like prophets, right? Maybe they're not handing you religious pamphlets or dressed in robes or anything like that, but their message remains the same. It's one of two messages. It's either God is not real, or they say, whatever God you serve is real, right? You can have your own God because all religions are real, or maybe if you want to just take a little bit from here, take a little bit from over here and create your own religion, that's cool too. Just create your own religion. Perhaps the greatest lie in the postmodern movement that we live in today is that it just doesn't matter what you believe. You can believe whatever you want to believe. That's cool. We're accepting. We're tolerant. Whatever you want to believe, that's your, your personal truth. Some years ago, an episode on the Oprah Winfrey show. Now, I don't watch Oprah, believe it or not. I don't watch Oprah. 
And I did research, and it's on YouTube if you want to look this up. So it's, it's real. It happened. The episode that Oprah did, and it was like this spiritual, religious episode where she had this panel, and they were all talking about different world religions, etc. And Oprah said something along the lines of, There are many paths to what you call as God. And a woman in the studio audience, I kid you not, it's on YouTube, you check it out. A woman in the studio audience stood up and responded on national television in front of everyone. It was awesome. She said, you say that there's many paths to God, but that's not true. There's only one path to the true God, and it's through Jesus Christ. National television, that's cool, right? And Oprah quickly responds before they cut to commercial and says, no, that's not true. That can't be true commercial. Now, why can't that be true? Because Oprah and the conglomerate at Harpo says it's not true. It's hard to stand up for what we believe is right when there's so many things pushing the opposite direction. It's like standing in a river going the opposite way. But if that lady on Oprah could do it, and if Elijah could do it here outnumbered at minimum 850 to 1, we can too. We have the truth to stand on. It's God. He stood alone against all the evil and sin of his time, of his generation, because he trusted in God. Trusted that God was who he said he was, and that he was the true God. And we can do that today. Second principle that we can discover in the story is, just because it's popular doesn't mean it's right. Now, how many times have you heard this in talk? A billion? Well, here's a billion in one. This is like parenting your teenager 101. How many times have you told them this quote, Right? But do one thing for me, parents. Don't use the cliche to describe this. Like, if your buddy jumped off a bridge, would you jump off to blah, 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 right? Because here's the thing. Bridge jumping and cliff jumping is awesome. <laughs> it's really fun. It's, well, into water. It's really, really fun. So come up with something a little bit more creative, less cliche, like if your buddy smashed his face in a heated waffle iron, would you do that? Because no one wants to do that, right? You could take that one. Use that next time. Let's get back to the story. Since there were so many prophets of Baal, Elijah allowed them to go first, which I'm really glad he did, because if he went first, the story would have ended, and then we wouldn't have gotten to see what they were going to do, right? So this is great for the story. They go first. And they prepared the sacrifice in this altar, got it all ready, and they began to shout and pray to the poop gods, send down this fire from heaven, right? And the Bible describes it as, from morning until noon. It's a long time period. From morning until noon, these 450 prophets called out to their God. Oh, Baal, answer us. Send down fire. Blah, blah, blah. And from morning until noon, the Bible says they danced around and sh shouted and chanted. Now, I, w I was thinking, right? Did they have a choreog choreographed dance that they're all doing at the same time? Like, was it unique? Or was it like... For those of you who do Zumba, like the first time you go to Zumba, and like everyone's like out of time, and there's one guy who's like sweating way more than everyone else. It's really uncomfortable. Was it like that? I don't know. And from morning until noon, the Bible says nothing happened. Nothing happened. And Elijah had to really enjoy it, right? He, the Bible says he was standing off to the side, and he had to be laughing. Like it was a great experience for him because he knew it was right, and he knew that nothing was going to happen. He was really enjoying this. And the prophets were really looking stupid. So finally, Elijah couldn't take it any longer. So he spoke up, and he says something. 
And the context of the Bible says that he started making fun of them, mocking them and taunting them. I think it's great that that is included in the Bible. That Elijah was allowed to mock and taunt these people. That's hilarious. That's awesome. This is what he said. This is the message version. He says, call a little louder. He is God, after all. Maybe he's off meditating somewhere, or maybe he's gotten involved in a project. (laughs) Or maybe he's on a vacation. You don't suppose he's overslept, do you? Needs to be woken up. Now, that's okay, right? But that's like PC version. That's like children's church version of the Bible, right? We don't want to be too offensive. When I think of mocking language, I think of the King James version. How about you guys? Right? Let's, Let's take a look at what the King James says. Cry aloud for his God either is talking or pursuing. Like, pursuing, that's kind of a weird word. I looked up pursuing, and pursuing means to withdraw. means to withdraw. And it's a word that's used euphemistically, specifically to withdraw for a specific reason. Do you know what that reason is? Do I need to describe it? That's to go poop, guys. Come on. You can answer. This is like, yeah. To withdraw for that reason. And there's a bunch of different English translations because this original Hebrew word here is kind of difficult to translate. So let me give you some other interpretations of what some people wrote here in scriptures. NASB said he was occupied. You know, like when you go into the outhouse and you got to flip the little thing? This is occupied, right? Or he is in deep thoughts. You know where I have some of my greatest thoughts. I come up with the greatest ideas. All right, we'll go back to the message again. He was gotten involved in a project. And it can be laborsome, right? It can take some time. But if you approach this as trash talking, right? The Bible says that it was trash talking. It makes sense to use the NLT's context of relieving himself. But even then... I don't think that trash-talking would use terminology that's so sophisticated as bowel movement or something, right? I do believe your God is having a bowel movement. God doesn't, like, got you, zing, right? Doesn't really work very well. I think we need to ask Richard Sherman, because he's like the king of trash-talking, to try to contextualize what you would actually say, because trash-talking uses modern language, right? The more hipper the slang, the better it would be. So what do you guys think? Any suggestions? Put you on the spot? No? Yeah. Maybe your God is taking a dump. Are good with that? Is that PC enough? God's taking a dump. Here's the thing, though. This is where my brain goes. Follow me on this. So they were calling on God Baal from morning until noon, right? Long period of time. And also, we know that he could not respond because... He was using the facilities. So if we put those two ideas together, we can only surmise that not only did Baal need to use the toilet, but he was also constipated. One half teaspoon for fast, effective relief. seen it, but couldn't bring myself about doing it, so just have to view it in your mind right now. It's probably already there. 
They prayed louder and louder, cutting themselves with swords and knives, a ritual common to them, until they were covered with blood. This went on until well past noon. They used every religious trick and strategy they knew to make something happen on the altar, but nothing happened, not so much as a whisper, not a flicker of a response. No matter how badly they wanted their God to be real, he just wasn't. No matter how much they believed collectively together, or how many of them came together to believe this false God was real, he wasn't. doesn't matter because popularity does not determine reality or truth. Elijah could have been very popular and probably saved himself a lot of time of running and dealing with all these prophets, right? If he had just said, okay, sure, Baal's real, God's not real. It might have even promoted him to like high priest of Baal, whatever that would look like. But Elijah knew that he didn't need to be popular with those people. There's only one person that he needed to be popular with. That was God. That leads us to our third truth this morning. That God is God and there's nothing he can't do. I love this story. You feel it building up? Great. <laughs> you guys are really quiet. Then Elijah told his people, enough of that. Like, stop sweating. Stop bleeding. I'm worried about you. It's my turn now, right? It's my turn. So the Bible says that Elijah took the, the stones of the altar and had to, like, fix them because they got probably knocked over in all the dancing or whatever. And he took 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Jacob and put them all up. And then he put the wood on top, took a piece of an ox and put it on top, dug a trench around the altar. And then he called for four jugs of water to be dumped on top of the altar. He's raising the stakes just a little bit to prove that God is real. And I think... You know, they're on top of a mountain, right? Did they have water? Did they bring the water with them? Or did some sorry guy have to run all the way down the mountain, carry up four jugs by himself probably, like some servant, and then dump them? And then Elijah says, bring me four more. And he's got to run back down, run back up. And then a third time, run back down. And I think, you guys, if you're looking for it, this proves that God is a Seahawks fan. Because, follow me, because water equals rain equals Seattle. Four times three jugs is 12. 12th man? No. First service like that better than you did. So the altar was just drenched. The trench was filled around the altar with water. And I don't know if you've ever like tried to light a fire, maybe camping after it's been rain and it's all damp and it's really difficult. Yeah, it's difficult, but Elijah wouldn't be lighting the fire. It would be God. And then Elijah prayed this awesome prayer. It's so powerful. Let's read it. Verse 37. O God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make it known right now that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I'm doing what I'm doing under your orders. Answer me, God. O answer me and reveal to this people that you are God, the true God, and that you are giving these people another chance at repentance. Give them another chance. The Bible says then, immediately... Immediately after he finishes his prayer, this great fire from heaven comes down and it consumes the altar. Not only does it burn the wood and the ox, the Bible says it burnt all 12 stones. They were gone. That has to be hot to burn a stone. And all the water was gone. I can only imagine if you're standing too close, you probably lost some hair that day, right? And this is how powerful it works. The people immediately fell down on their faces 
and started worshiping the true God, saying, God is the real God. God is the real God. There is a God. There's nothing that he can't do. Isn't that a great story? Man, just gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. The question that we always like to ask toward the end of the service, after we just present a story, is, so what, right? There's this awesome story. It took place a long time ago. How does that apply to my situation, my circumstances today? And I want to go back and think about that, that verse, that question that Elijah asked. How long are you going to sit on the fence, serve God and do your own thing? There was a story of, about a man who had the circus, excuse me, and uh, one of his apes died. He only had one ape. He died. And he was in this weird location that he couldn't get another ape shipped into the circus, and the show must go on. So he found someone who was desperately looking for a job and said, listen, I need you to dress up in this ape costume that I made from this dead ape. Kind of gross. And I need you just to run around the pen and make some noises and scare the children, do some growling, beat your chest, whatever. And the guy was so desperate for money, he thought, well, okay, I don't really have an option. So as he did this job, he found that he liked it more and more because all he did was just take naps all day and eat bananas and climb up in the tree and scare kids. That's like the best job ever, right? Until one day, he wandered into the lion's pen and the lion just roared extremely loud. And so the ape shouted out, help, 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 someone get me out of here. And the lion responded, shut up, man, or we're both going to get fired. <laughs> Sorry, that's the worst joke ever. I feel embarrassed about that. A lot of Christians are just like that, right? A lot of Christians are just like that. They put on their Christian attire on Sunday morning. They have to pull it out of the back of the closet and put it on. They come here to church. They do the church thing, right? They worship God here on Sunday. They go home right about now. You guys are thinking should be going home right about now. Throw it in the back of the closet and then go back to their lives, their friends and their workplaces and their school. Try to go with the flow again. Try to be popular. Try to get in the cool kids club or whatever they call it these days. But the message that we're talking about is it's not about being popular. It's about standing for the truth, standing for what God says is right. That You can't worship God and do your own thing or follow the pattern of the world that we live in. Jesus said something about this in Matthew 6. He said, you can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. The real challenge for Elijah that day wasn't overcoming the false god Baal because he knew that he wasn't real. That wasn't the issue that he was facing. The real challenge was the people, those people of Israel, overcoming their own sinful natures and desires. He asked them to make that decision, to stop playing games, to stop bouncing back and forth between God's way and their way and make a decision. And eventually they did, right? Eventually they did. In that prayer, he asked God, give them an opportunity for repentance. And they repented. And they worshiped God. That's the best part of the story. And we're given this opportunity, too, today to make this decision, to follow the crowd or to follow Christ. The path he takes isn't the most popular path. The broad road is the, the, the road that the world is on, but the narrow path is the one that Jesus wants to lead us down. And Jesus came to the earth to give us this understanding that we don't need to be popular with the crowds. We're only needing to be popular 
with him. And we can do it, even though we feel like we're standing alone at times, we're not standing alone. The God of the universe, the God who could send down this great fire from heaven is behind us at our side. But the question is, who will you serve? If God is God, follow him. If something else is God, then follow him. Stop going back and forth and fully commit. Amen? All right. That wasn't too many poop jokes, was it? Wasn't too bad? Good. Here's a few more. Here we go. You think I'm joking. All right, some of you may know who David Letterman is, right? Letterman was famously known for doing his top 10 lists, and he just retired a couple weeks ago. So, Ode to Letterman, we will do a top 10 list for you this morning. And I needed to do this at the end because you needed to know the full context of the story to have some of these make sense. So this top 10 list is the 10 things I wanted to name this talk, but I didn't because we're in church. So don't get mad at me because I did not name my talk these things. You look on the paper there, you'll see Elijah and the prophets of Baal. So these are things that I wanted to name my talk, but I didn't do it. So don't get upset with me. Get upset with John for letting me speak today. All right? Here we go. Snare roll. Number 10 is Everybody Poops. You guys read that story before? That's all right. Number 9, Bale's Throne. Uh, kind of better. Number 8, Turds That Teach. Number 7, Let's Get This Potty Started. Number six, the prophets of Baal waited all but day. That one's dumb. I'm sorry. Number five, Baal's failure to launch. Number four, fire down below, preferably on the mountain. Number three, biblical number twos, enough to spread over two weeks. Number two, Biblical number twos, the streak continues. And the number one thing I wanted to name it, but I didn't. Bale's other Mount Carmel. I didn't name it those things, so you can't be mad at me. We thought it'd be funny to play a song, so we're going to play a silly song for you. This was written over ten years ago. Uh, I used to be in a band with Luther and North call ourselves Unforsaken and then the patterns end. And we wrote this song to be funny on a funny album. It's appropriately titled My Bathroom. And North, North named it, or called it well when we practiced this on Thursday. He said, we wrote this song before we rocked, before we were good, and before we knew how to write songs. That's when we wrote this song. So we hope you enjoy yeah. it. It's called My Bathroom. Bathroom, my bath. There's a window to the yard. My bathroom, my bath. Don't jump, it's kind of far to the ground. Somebody missed the toilet. Sure wasn't me. You better go and clean it, cause I really gotta pee. Toilet scum is built. 
building up again Nothing grosser than the bowl I do my business in Water residue is blacker than sin My bathroom My bathroom My sister does her hair My bathroom My bathroom Where I left my underwear There's a den in the wall where I threw my brother in Leonardo leads a turtle to another win I hate when soap falls out of the shower And slides across the floor My bathroom My bathroom Soapy, soapy floor My bathroom My bathroom Someone's knocking at the door Knock, knock, knocking on the bathroom door Knock, knock, knocking on the bathroom door Because he cares that much 